Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 292 and my conversation with Greenville, South Carolina-based percussion educator and performer, Lainey Malden. We'll get to her very shortly. We are in finals week at Mizzou. I am in what I unlovingly refer to as the graining abyss to finish out my semester of classes. As students continue to hand in their final work, and I continue to grade it on a loop. We've been having some end-of-the-year celebrations, along with a crop of less super-busy percussion juries, because there were a lot of recitals in Megan Arnes' studio this semester. So now it's grade, 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 until those are due next week. Grade, grade. Okay, let's get to today's guest, Lainey Malden. It was great to get the chance to chat with Lainey. I'd gotten to know of her through her work at Clemson University with previous podcast guest Paul Beyer, where she did her undergrad, along with her duet work in Catch-22 with another previous podcast guest and heading to her new percussion gig at Eastern New Mexico University, Emily Salgado. Lainey Malden is a freelance educator and performer centrally located in Greenville, South Carolina. She's a teacher and educational engagement coordinator at Drum Percussion Studio there, while also teaching adjunct at Clemson University and Erskine College, both nearby in South Carolina. She's also part of the board for South Carolina's PAS chapter. We talk about all of those aspects, along with playing drum set going to Ohio State, issues of burnout, and many other items in this interview. So let's get to it. Well, one note of apology. I did not figure out that Laney's name is in fact pronounced Laney until nearly halfway through the interview. So for the first portion of this, I will be calling her Lane. The moment I figured that out will appear at some point during this conversation. So heads up. Okay, here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on April 15th, 2022, and it begins right now. So, Lane, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities as they are right now. I'm balancing several different gigs right now. So my main uh, position is at Drum Percussion Studio. Um, This is based out of Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, I'm actually the um, educational engagement coordinator. I feel like every time I say it, I am afraid I'm going to mess something up there. Um, But that's uh, that's actually been my most recent um, position that I've I've gotten. Um, I started full-time at the studio back in January, so this is still relatively very, very new. There, what I do, I have a full-time teaching schedule in addition to assisting with administrative responsibilities. Um, Right now, we're preparing for um, our studio recital and then also uh, a big festival that we have in downtown Greenville every year. With that, with those administrative duties, I'm helping with logistics. Like, do we have ways to get our gear um, for the site for uh, both of those events? Do we have the personnel scheduled and all, all things like that? From an educational engagement perspective, I'm trying to start to build some traction with some of the local band directors. That's something that 
the studio struggled a little bit with in the past. So I'm trying to use my contacts and my networking to touch base with um, with people that are in the area and just see if we can't get our foot in the door with some of those guys. So um, most of my days are spent at the studio uh, in downtown Greenville. Um, but in addition to that, I also am adjunct at Clemson and I'm adjunct at Erskine College. So at both of those locations, I teach applied lessons, um, mostly drum set at Clemson. Uh, at Erskine, it's more of like a concert percussion focus. Um, and at Clemson, I help out with the percussion ensemble as my schedule allows. And then at Erskine, I'm teaching percussion methods. So between those two university positions, I'm kind of doing a little bit of everything um, that I can kind of get my hand into. Those are the, the main three um, that I've got. You know, um, I'm also, I'm involved with PAS, and so I'm on the board with the South Carolina chapter. So um, we just finished our, the, the East Day of Percussion, the, the first regional. Um, so that was last weekend, and we've got a steel festival coming up next Friday, and then we also are going to be hosting a virtual solo competition for high schoolers in May. So with that, Jesse, uh, Jesse Willis and I are in a lot of communication, trying to get information out to, again, to local band directors, just to kind of get them involved and make them aware of some of these opportunities for their students. First thing is the drum percussion studio. How, tell me a little bit more about it. Why, how long has it been around? What's kind of the, is there a charge that the, that that organization has that's specific to it? Great question. So uh, Drum was started by Jason Curran. Um, he is the owner, the founder, um, and he actually started in his garage in Greenville. So um, it, it's kind of a long story. Jason and I kind of go way back. So he came from Atlanta and moved up to Greenville to work at an, a charter school, an elementary school. They brought him up to start a world percussion program. He stayed there for several years, got the program going, and then he decided he was going to create drum. So he left the school. Uh, come to find out a couple years later, I ended up taking that position at that school. And then I started working for Jason after school. So I would go you know, into his job and then go and work for him in the afternoons. Um, but anyway, he started uh, the studio in his garage and it was kind of a way for him to continue to teach, um, reaching mostly, you know, younger students. Um, and then he had this vision to kind of create this drum school where we could have not just private lessons, but also classes and events and ensembles. And um, it's been, been a really cool thing to see grow. Um, they stayed in his garage for, I think, two or three years. And then they brought um, myself and another instructor on uh, back in 2018 to start assisting with teaching lessons and moved into a, a bigger space. So now we've got our own, you know, designated area and space. We have two practice rooms. We have um, three larger classrooms. Um, so we teach drum set classes. We teach world percussion classes. We have a class for we drummers, so little like two to four year olds, they're they're adorable. That is not my calling, so I I stay away from that as much as I possibly can. Um, but Cassidy does a great job with those guys. So um, those yeah, four year olds, those four year olds can just Merlin, just just like that, just dude, just rip rip right. It's through. crazy. Like I'll walk past that classroom, and it's just like a wall of sound and the kids are having a great time, but it's just like, Oh, and I'm like, no, I, you could no, no, ma'am. I do not want to be in there. Like I would, I would take a drum set class with, 
you know, eight-year-old boys all day over, you know, four-year-olds just going ham on world percussion instruments. But we have a lot of families that really enjoy it. So, um, and a lot of um, our longtime families who have been with us for several years, they started in Weedrum and the kids are continuing to take classes as they get older. So it's really cool to watch them grow up and, and explore new facets of percussion. Um, But yeah, um, you know, Jason's done a really great job. We're, Looking ahead, we're continuing to look towards more expansion. We have already maxed out our space, so we're trying to figure out what our next move is in terms of finding a new space to be in, and then while also, you know, continuing to grow. When COVID hit, we were kind of concerned that we would take a hit, and um, our numbers were quite stable, actually, and if anything, they continued to grow. So that was really encouraging, I think, for all of us. Um, as we kind of navigated that. Um, and once we got through it, things have just slowly gotten back into more of what we're used to. So this is the first year that we are actually more back to normal than, you know, in years past. Um, so this studio recital that we're having in a couple of weeks is the first one we've done in two years. And so we're all rusty. We're like, wait, what did we do last time? Like, how did we get our stuff over there? Like, I think things have been a little bit frantic in terms of us trying to get that back into a groove, but, um, it's really, it's really been a a great place to work. It's been a great organization to be a part of and to have my hand in. Um, I'm really grateful that, you know, Jason has, has amassed a a core group of instructors and we're all like-minded and we're all work together and we're just like a big family, which is really cool. Um, and it's nice to be in a work environment where you have other percussionists so you can like just go down rabbit holes and talk about repertoire or you can talk about, you know, current trends and they understand because we're all in the same field, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy to be there for sure. What kinds of things are specific to your position as the educational engagement coordinator? Great question. So like I was saying a little bit earlier, I think the big thing has been, um, as I'm starting to adjust, I still haven't quite eased into that role yet as I've just been kind of helping with kind of more of the day-to-day function. I think the vision is eventually for me to be the point person to go out into schools and to do clinics, to do master classes, to do scholastic programming. Um, We've already got some of those experiences under our belts. We've done several um, scholastic events over the years through different elementary schools, mostly, uh, kind of like an assembly or a presentation um, with the whole school. Um, so we've got that experience ready to go. It's just a matter of Jason has always done that in addition to doing everything else. So I think that's kind of going to be where I slide in a little bit more in the next school year as we kind of adjust, continue to adjust. Um But like, yeah, like I was saying, so mostly the scholastic programming things, creating opportunities for our students. We did a um, a region and all state uh, audition clinic a couple years ago that was really successful. Most of the kids that I think we only had one student that participated in that that did not get a callback. So it was, you know, the data shows like, yeah, this is something that we're doing. We're providing for these students and it's successful. It's, It's providing them with these awesome opportunities. My sense of time is completely skewed for the past two years. I think it was last spring, um, so a year ago. I um, was the director of, we called it the pre-collegiate ensemble. So we had a couple of students who um, we knew were going to be going into music, a music um, 
degree program. Um, so we catered a class specifically for those students. So we were playing higher level rep. It was chamber ensemble. I played with them. So we did a trio. We did a couple duets. Um, and then we also, I kind of geared it towards a, a collegiate um, studio class. So we had a couple of um, sessions where we actually had Zoom meetings with professors that they were interested in applying to those schools. So they got an opportunity to like, you know, make that connection and things like that. So um, that's kind of more of what I'm thinking I will be doing as we continue to kind of, um, you know, evolve this role. But this is, I'm also the first person to do this. So Jason is also just kind of saying, here, I want you to be in charge of this, go forth and, and do the thing, you know? So it's kind of a growing, um, a growing, evolving monster, so to speak, as we, as we kind of continue to figure out what we want to do, which is cool. Were you always attached to that organization or when you, because looking at your bio, you went to Ohio State. Did you come back to the area after you finished? Yes, I did. So what, so, were, you, what um, were you coming back to do? I, I didn't know. So okay. I knew that I didn't, I got, so after my master's program, six years was too much. I was done with school. I knew that I didn't want to go on for a doctorate. Um, so I moved back down to this area and um, I just kind of started getting my feet wet in, in a little bit of teaching. So that first year, I think it was mostly like, you know, you know, just doing the hustle and networking and trying to get my name back into, um, into the area. So, uh, I started working with, um, a, a good friend of mine now, uh, I worked with his band program. I was just the marching band tech and then Dr. Byer knew I was in the area. So he had me come and do a couple clinics at Clemson. Uh, I went and did a couple clinics at Anderson. So I just kind of started networking, uh, that first year. And then, um, I ended up getting that position at the elementary school that I was speaking about earlier that Jason had been brought from Atlanta. Yes. So I did that for six and a half years. Um, mm. That was my main gig, my main you know source of income. And that's when I really learned how to teach. My degree is a BA. It's, it was in production studies at the performing arts at Clemson. So I didn't have the student teaching experience. And that charter school is set up to the, the weekly schedule for the students is that they leave at 1230 or one on Fridays. And then the teachers have two and a half hours in the afternoon from, you know, one thirty or two until four to do professional development. So they had us, they were teaching us basically how to teach. Um, and which that was incredible because I didn't, again, I didn't, I knew how to teach marching band, but I didn't really know how to teach like a class full of, six-year-olds. So, um, that's kind of really where I cut my teeth and, and got comfortable with it. And, um, the school itself is a public charter school and it serves, um, student, we're a hundred percent free lunch. So it's very, um, very much underserved youth who are coming from not super great situations. Um, so it was hard. It was, you know, tough. And, um, I think that that was, was hugely beneficial to me as a, as a, uh, educator, just like getting that experience and learning how to connect with students from that background and how to, you know, really deliver content in a way that they could understand. Um, what kinds of ways did you realize you had to adjust or things that you had to figure out that were part of that? Yeah. Great question. So I think a lot of it was just lack of awareness. I, I, I don't want to say ignorance or, you know, being clueless, but I think it was a matter of me really um, 
putting myself in a child's shoes and saying, okay, it's very possible that this student is going home to an abusive household or going home to, um, you know, not knowing if they're going to have dinner on the table when they get home or not knowing if there's going to be an adult in the house. And so I'm a very, um, childish human. So like that was not hard for me to tap into in terms of making them excited. I always got really good marks and observation for engagement and motivation because I'm just a ball of energy when I'm in front of a bunch of little kids because I can, I get it. I understand. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest shift for me was taking off the lens of, um, you know, Oh, I'm the teacher and this student should be able to know how to do X, Y, Z. Well, this student is not me. And this is, this student is not, you know, kids that I would, that I know. So I've got to make sure that I'm, I'm taking that into account. Um, they did, again, they, they brought in a lot of like outside organizations to train us on Fridays. Um, so for example, I took a course on, um, mental health first aid and how you can assist students who are experiencing trauma and how that that's going to directly affect their attention span and all that good stuff. That That's one facet of my teaching. And then I'm also creating a world curriculum. So by the time I got there, there had been a couple teachers between Jason and myself. So all the curriculums that he had used were no longer around. So I'm just kind of creating, okay, I've got these instruments let's see what we can teach about West Africa and plug in these instruments and then also teach them how to read 16th note rhythms or eighth note rhythms or, you know, whatever it may be. So the first couple of years were, were crazy because I was balancing those two things. But once I got to a point, a place where I had a, curric a curriculum that I was comfortable with and that I knew worked, then, then it was like, Oh, now I can really focus on my delivery and now I can make sure that I'm building these relationships with these kids and, the, the other thing that's really crappy uh, about that situation is that teacher turnover is super high in schools like that. Yeah. So any teacher that stays longer than two years, the kids just like, they, they go straight towards you. Cause they're like, Oh, you were here. When my brother was here. You were here. When my sister's here. You're going to be here. That's really cool. Like, and so it, it, be, it, it helped me because I, the, I was there year after year and then they started to pick up on that. And so then they're like, Oh, okay. She's going to be here next year too. Um, so that was also beneficial. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing from teaching privately after school or, you know, even teaching at the collegiate level. I feel, I feel like when they're at school, they're not choosing to be there. They're, they have to be at school, you know? So it's, you kind of have to approach it a little bit differently. And so that was really, um, like I said, that was really uh, crucial to my development as an educator because I felt like I was able to connect on both different planes. I'm able to connect with you because you have to be here, and I'm able to connect with my college students or my private lesson students because they're paying to be here. So, it makes a difference if you're if you continuously show up. Yeah, and and in a ways for an underserved population, in particular, like you said, if there's so much turnover. I mean, you check, it's, it's obvious why someone would check out right? if they, if it's a different person in front of them on a regular basis. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it makes a world of difference to just be there. Yes. And, um, yeah, you're exactly right. I think that was, that was key to my success there. Part of the reason that I left, we were, there was some administrative change uh, they continued to increase the class sizes. So when I left, I was teaching 
classes that had over 30 kids in them mm. by myself. Well, they were coming from a class where they had two teachers, two adults in the room. And then I was expected to manage all of them by myself. Um, and I, I don't know. It was a, it was a pressure cooker. There was a lot of toxicity happening at, on the adult level. Um, and Jason approached me about coming to the studio full time in like Thanksgiving when like burnout is like key, like right before, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And he was like, you know, we really need somebody full time. I can offer you this. And it, it just, the, everything kind of fell into place. So it was my time to go. Um, but you know, it was, again, it was very crucial to my, my path, my journey. Um, so I'm really, you know, thankful to that. I had that, that opportunity to do that. That's very rare. <laughs> was it, was it hard to leave? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it was harder to make the decision to leave than it was to, to actually do the thing just because I would, you know, I would be thinking about this and then I'd be, you know, teaching and I'm looking at my kids. I'm like, I can't leave them. And then, you know, something would happen from the administrative side of things. And it's like, Oh, well I can't stay here either. It was kind of like, I would go, I was in, I was on a roller coaster for like a solid week, just like this and this and this. Um, and I will never forget the day I, I told the kids, um, when I was leaving, I wanted to give them time to process. And I told them, and it got better as I got through the day. But the first time that I, I said it, it was with my oldest group that I had been with the longest. And like, it was the whole grade level. And they were just like, no. And it was, it was just chaos. And I was just like, oh no, I've got to figure out a better way that I can do this. Cause it wrecked me. It wrecked the kids. Like it was a disaster, disaster zone for a hot second. Um, but I'm keeping in touch. I've still got some really good friends that are still teaching there. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of keeping tabs on what's been going on and, um, I haven't had a chance to go out, go over since I've, since I've been at drum, but that's on my to-do list for May when things kind of start to loosen up at the studio. The preparation for that, for letting them know is probably, is, is like the, where you're sitting there, you're like, I have a lesson plan. And then you're like, you're like trying to, you're like, uh, oh, like, I was shaking. Like I mean, shaking. my hands were visibly like, uh, my voice was shaking. Yeah. And, uh, so it wasn't even in my classroom. We were yeah. in. Um, so the, the charter for the school is built on, um, physical education. So they have PE every single day and they only have related arts Monday through Thursday. So we didn't teach on Fridays and we helped with PE. So I was in a PE uniform holding a microphone, trying to talk in a gym to all these kids. And my mic, my hands shaking and I'm trying to like prepare myself. And I was like, Oh no, this would be way easier if I was in my space, but you know, it, it was the, it was what I had to do. So we got through it. Yeah. I, I I don't know if this happened to you in, in that case, but I some one job I had to leave. I remember somebody, one of the students, like found me before I had to make the announcement, and they're like, and I made the announcement. And they come up to me after, and they're like, I knew something was, I knew something was up because like right. I, the energy was different for you. That's <laughs> like, yeah, oh. they know, man, they know, <laughs> and and the little ones know too, and they're almost more acutely aware than some of the older ones, and. Um, what the, the morning that I had to meet with my principal to tell her, she came to ask me a question when I was uh, like on my morning, like duty position or whatever. Yeah. And I was, I was noticeably like not ready to talk to her. And she was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, we'll talk in a, we've got a meeting in a little bit. We'll talk. And she was like, okay. And then I walked into the meeting and she was like, I knew something was up. I could tell, like, as soon as I walked out and saw you, I knew, I knew what it was. And I was like, well, 
you know, <laughs> the writing was kind of on the wall. Like, yeah. so, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. When you were teaching there, were you also working at Clemson and Erskine? Yes. Not at Erskine. Erskine okay. is, a, is a recent ad, okay. um, but I was working at Clemson. I've, I don't think I've ever not had more than one job in my adult life. I'm always juggling something. I think part of it is because I can't stand to be stagnant. Like I hate sitting. I'm very much, I'm, I'm work better under pressure. I got to have stuff going on. I want, I've got FOMO like crazy. Like I want to be involved in everything, you know? The main bulk of those six years while I was at Legacy, I was also at Clemson. And then I added drum in, in 2018. So that was three gigs. Um, and then let's see, actually last fall, I, I was starting to feel the burnout and I think it was partially because of some school like politics. Um, and I think it was partially just because I was busy. I mean, I was working 14 hour days, five days a week and I was, I was done. So I actually took a step back from drum and I didn't commit to any lessons. And I was like, look, I just need a semester to kind of get my life together. Um, and yeah, so then I did, I was doing, at that point, I was doing Erskine, Clemson, and Legacy, the charter school. Um, so then uh, Jason subbed in basically drum for uh, Legacy, and, and here we are. So yeah, I'm way happier. I saw I saw one of my coworkers the other night from the elementary school, and she was like, "You are glowing," and I was like, "Well, I'm sleeping now, which is super. Like, I don't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to be at school at seven. Like, I can get up at seven and then roll in at nine. Like, it's great. Sleep is a cool thing, you know." <laughs> wow. This is this is true. I have conversations with this with my my college students since uh, since I one of my classes is I teach Monday, Wednesday, Friday right now eight nine and ten a.m. Oh wow, night. okay. And it all happens to be in the same room, and they're and they're, they're like completely different classes. But I've had to explain like I'm always the first one in the building because I'm here at like six forty five because I have like all of this prep to just right. settle in. Sure. And so yeah, that means I have to get up at like four thirty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So. It's brutal. Yeah. And then with the extra jobs on the, on the end of the day, so I had to be there at seven, then I would leave at four and then we go teach until eight. So it was like a a 14 hour day. I mean, it was miserable. At one point there was a a proposal on the table while I was at that elementary school for them to get us um, CDL certified and drive Mm -hmm. buses. And I was like, no, I'm not going to drive a bus and teach all your kids and then go teach more after like, absolutely not. Like that's just, I was waiting on that to come down the pipes and I was like, I'm out like goodbye. I will not be here tomorrow. You know what I mean? I was ready to go, but luckily that didn't happen. So they figured it out, but yeah, charter schools, they can do whatever they want, which is great, but it's also terrible because there's no policing of any kind of activity like that. So like if there's, if they have a need and they find somebody and they're like, Oh, you know, you have an extra hour in your day. Here's an extra three hours worth of work. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, education, you... am I right? What's that? <laughs> I said education. Am I right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you still doing uh, catch 22? Yes. So, Emily is, she just got her job. So she, our timeline has been wonky this semester. Uh, Actually this year has been all over the place. So um, we kind of put it on the back burner while she was finishing up her DMA. Um, 
I went up there in January for uh, her chamber recital, which was, we played a half recital for that. Um, and then I knew that she was going to be busy prepping for her, her solo recital. You know, she's teaching at Oklahoma and then also, um, you know, doing job interviews. So I, w- we basically said, you know what, well, look, we're just going to put this kind of on the back burner for right now. Um, but I think our next, let's see, let me make sure I, I can get this right. She actually texted me just a couple days ago. Uh, we're trying to figure out if, we can do some recording over the summer. Now that she's going to be moving, that's kind of throwing things up in, in the air. So I'm, I'm anticipating that it's going to be, you know, another little while before we can kind of get things going again. But, um, we premiered a drum set duet on her chamber recital and, uh, a friend of hers, we commissioned him to write it for us and he wants to get it published with, I think tap space. So he's wanting a, a quality video that he can send in. So I think the next thing on our to-do list is to kind of get that taken care of and kind of check that off the list, um, before we start, you know, putting together another big project. Um, but yes, that was a really long answer for a short question. Yes. We are still doing the duo. Where, and how did that start? So she and I met. She student taught at the high school where I was the marching band tech. So she, let's see, I had I had some kind of conflict um, one year during marching band camp, and she had to come in to sub for me. Um, and so we spent, we ended up overlapping by like a week or two. She took like the, the middle two weeks and we did the first week together. And then I came in and kind of took over for the rest of the semester. Um, so that was when we really kind of hit it off. We realized that we were, um, similar personality types. We also were like, we enjoyed the same things and it was kind of one of those things where you just click, you know, it was just an immediate kind of, um, okay, this could work. And she just randomly texted me. Like it was, I think it was in October or something. She was already in, uh, back in Tallahassee for her master's program. And she was like, so I have a random thought. Do you want to do a duo with me? And I was like, dude, I was literally thinking the exact same thing. Like, yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Um, so her family lives in Anderson or they did at that time. So she would be coming home for breaks and stuff. So we would practice at Clemson. Uh, and that was kind of how we started, um, was her, you know, coming back from school and then kind of utilizing that time. Um, but yeah, it's been a really cool thing. We've, I think we've both really enjoyed it. We did a, we did a tour right before COVID hit and I feel like that kind of slammed everything on, onto breaks real quick. Yeah. We'll see what happens moving forward. Now that she's got her gig, she, she, uh, was messaging with me and she was like, yeah, I'm going to have to have you come out. And I was like, dude, I don't even know what's in New Mexico. Like that would be, if I've never been there, that'd be cool. Like, I don't really know what you want me to teach your kids that you can't teach, but yeah, happy to come. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, the good news on, on that last point is that almost all the time, whatever you say is going to be, even if it's exactly what Emily would have said is going to be like the Emily's just going to look at the students. Like it's, I've been telling you, oh, oh, now you get it because right. I brought in a guest. It's right. one of those. The light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, she's so right. And Emily's over there going, what, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. It is funny, like the dynamic between the two of us when we go and teach, she's typically the one that kind of is, she kind of takes takes charge and leads the whole thing. And then I'll just kind of toss in my tidbits here and there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just really funny. Sometimes I'll rephrase something that she said and then they get it. And then she's like, the 
That's what I just. <laughs> well, you know, you just got to think about it a little bit differently. You just gotta yeah, yeah. Words. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and then snare drumsticks are made of wood. Right. Right. That's what you had to contribute. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. And you'd man. be like, but that's all you left me, Emily. That's all I had to, to add. That's exactly it. Yeah. I'll come in and I'll go, this is a drum and I'm going to play it with my stick and it's going to sound cool. That, that's going to be the, the level, the caliber of my clinic. For her <laughs> it's good. We're just workshopping it here, right? Yeah, now. exactly. That's it. Yep. Woodshed. <laughs> I love it. Yep. Get it out there. That's awesome. This past weekend, the first regional that, that went on. It was. Yeah. Um, and you know, I feel like, have you done, have you done a podcast with Jesse Willis yet? I have not. He would definitely be a guy to check out. Um, cause I know that he's, um, at least from a PAS standpoint, he is, he was a little bit more involved. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it seemed like it, it came off without a hitch. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of attendance and I think that's been a concern since day one is trying to get people to attend, um, especially the younger crowd, the high schoolers, but the, the clinicians that we had out were excellent. I mean, they, they gave really great clinics and something that I thought was really fascinating. Um, Drew Tucker talked about this in his clinic. He was like, you know, I feel like we've got all these clinicians have talked about how, you know, how important it is for you to embrace your experience and embrace whatever your background is and apply that to percussion. So, you know, thinking about historically from a pedagogical standpoint, there are different schools of thought and you just kind of fall into one of those schools. Um, I think that the clinicians, we had Anders and Sarah Thauer and, and, Hems and Drew Tucker. And so they were all kind of talking about, well, I like to do this because this is what I enjoy doing. And so I found a way to apply this to my instrument. Um, or this is my background. So I figured out a way to, um, to apply that, apply my background to this, you know, this genre. Um, and I think that that's kind of, that's something that has stuck with me. I'm still thinking about it. Like I'll be driving down the, the road and I'm like, that's like really profound that our, our field is, is kind of evolving into that direction where we're, we're coming from, we're just like a melting pot of all these different, um, experiences and heritages and cultures and, and, it's cool to see that movement kind of starting to take shape before our eyes and grow as, you know, as we kind of move away from some of the more traditional approaches and headsets. Well, it, and some of that is also because the playing fields changed and yes. the, and the opportunities are, it's much easier to create stuff on your own versus having to have, a teaching a full-time teaching job or like an orchestra job as your right. basis. You can actually do everything without those and still yes. have financial success. <laughs> right. That's it. That's it. I, I'm excited for the next 20 years of percussion. I think we're going to see even more expansion in these new ideas. And um, I think it's going to be really awesome to be able to kind of experience some of that as we continue to move forward. Um, and I don't think that that was the the intention of de of designating those particular clinicians. It just happened to be the way that the cookie crumbled and what they decided to talk about, which I think is really fascinating. And um, it's really I think it's a, a great thing to have that kind of continuity in one full day of, of clinics. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really, really great. We were in a space that I wasn't familiar with uh, in Greensboro. I, you went to UNCG, right? 
Yeah, were you at UNCG? Yeah, no, we were not. I was expecting us to be at UNCG. We were at the Cultural Arts Center. Oh, okay, D- uh, downtown. Yeah, downtown. Okay. Yeah, um, which that was a really cool space. Like mm. they, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar. Um, I had no idea what that was about. So I'm driving up and I'm like, "Where is this place?" I was fully expecting to just kind of show up and go. My navigation was just going to take me to UNCG, and no, mm. it, we're, we're in the middle of downtown, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of different exhibits and um, things like that. And um, so that was kind of a, a cool backdrop to have this percussion, you know, day of, of development, which I thought was really cool. How many different states were, were are were involved in your version of this? Don't quote me on this, but I believe it was South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, I think Kentucky. Okay. Maybe? The the splits have been somewhat uh, to, at least to me the, the splits have been kind of seemingly random because I would think that South Carolina and North Carolina would be with like Georgia and Tennessee. And like that mm. would be the bump. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case. I think Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, um, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, those are kind of all clumped together. And then West Virginia, Virginia, the Carolinas. Um, but, you know, also thinking about like a, a group from Charleston, West Virginia, there, there's no way they can come down to Greensboro for an event. You know, that that's going to be require a lot of funding, um, at least for the students. So. I think that, um, you know, the idea is, is great. I think it's just a matter of doing it a couple more times and starting to develop some traction with some of these programs. Yeah. Um, is, is the plan and I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know the answer to this, but is the plan for it to be in the same place every time No. for, for a period of time, or is it going to move within the region? I think it's going to move within the region. So in when we do the next one, and that's the other thing is that it's going to be on a cycle. So like we yeah. won't have one. Our region will not have one next year. It's not, uh-huh. we're not going to have another one until I think 2025 question mark. It's, it's okay. a multi-year cycle. Okay. Um, and yeah, they are going to move it. So that being said, you know, you'll have to travel more certain days than, than others. Um, but thinking about how that has has directly trickled down to like the way that South Carolina is operating, mm-hmm. um, we had to we had to kind of adjust some things. We had a percussion ensemble festival for high schoolers, uh, and we had to really get creative on dates because we couldn't be within a certain window of the regional because we didn't want to conflict if those ensembles wanted to also participate in the festival that was. Uh, at in Greensboro. So, and actually we did have a South Carolina, Allen University did both, which was really cool. So we had representation from one of our, our college groups um, at both separate festivals, which is cool. Yeah. That kind of limited us in terms of dates that we could use for our own little, you know, festival day. Um, but Jesse, he does a great job. He's really motivated and he wants to keep some forward momentum moving Um even in light of having the additional events. So um, he planned out, you know, the steel festival that we've got uh, next weekend. And then we've got that virtual competition. So we're, we're swamped. Like we're, <laughs> we're, we're kind of in the weeds right now, you know, balancing that. And then 
you know, most of us or half of the, the, the board uh, is involved in collegiate teaching. So we've got recitals and juries and performances and it's, April sucks, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Pretty much. It's just terrible. It, it, there's so much happening, but um, it's, it, you know, I say that jestingly because I, I enjoy the, the fast pace and doing mm-hmm. the busyness of it, but well, it's just exhausting. That, well, it sounds, I'm happy that it went. Well, I know that Lamont and uh, and Eric are pretty, I'm sure, heavily involved since that's their hometown here. Or yeah. yeah. Lamont did most of it because um, Eric is on sabbatical right now. Oh, okay. He, yeah, right. He's in Brazil. So <laughs> he didn't, he had some grad students, I think, that were helping with get some equipment over there. But Lamont took, I think he took over a lot of it. And yeah. I will say this, um, they didn't have us involved in much of the planning. Jesse was, was at all of the planning, um, meetings, but they didn't, they didn't bring everybody in. I think they, they wanted to err on the side of, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen if we bring in all the officers. So they just had the presidents involved. So all of the planning stuff that we were getting was just directly from Jesse, um, just kind of recaps and stuff like that. But well, Lane, let's back up. Where'd you grow up? Oh, I, so I grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, well, if, since you're from you're, you're since you went to UNCG, you, you're probably familiar with a little bit of my geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Grew up in Rock Hill, went to Northwestern high school. I, I didn't take a single private lesson until I got to college. So I, in fact, I went to Clemson fully, uh, preparing for a, um, pre-veterinary degree. Mm-hmm. So I was, Toast. I was a burnout from marching band. I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I got a drum set scholarship to play in the jazz band and the steel band. And um, I just went on my merry way. And I was like, I'm going to do a side screen. It's going to be great. And um, got there and realized that was not for me. And I was dipping my toe in more and more ensembles as I, um, you know, as I went through my freshman year. And then all the doors just continued to point to, okay it's time to just make the shift. So I switched over to the, the BA, um, my sophomore year and then crammed the four year degree into the last three years. I didn't anticipate, I fly by the seat of my pants a lot, which is probably not super great, but in that particular instance, it was, it was good because I had that foundation, the, the science background. I knocked out a lot of my gen eds my freshman year. So I just could focus on the music stuff. Um, whenever I was, an upperclassman, which was really cool. Um, but planning is overrated. Lane, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, like who wants to waste that kind of time, right? Right. 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 We don't do that. We we're just going to go figure it out as yeah, we yeah. go. My brother's the same way. Like he, he just, he went to school and he was like, yeah, we'll do a wildlife degree. I like being outside. And he, he lives in Hawaii now. Uh, like just went out to a wedding over there uh, a couple years back. And he Never was like, you back. know what? I like it here. I'm going to figure out how to move here. And he found a job. Like he created himself a way to get over there, but like no planning. That's where we're, we're, we are cut from the same, you know, tree. Like it, we just kind of go and do it. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't know, well, we'll figure something else out. So yes. yeah, planning. It is what it is. Um, Wait, so were you in Rock Hill because was someone working at Winthrop or just that? No, that's just where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. 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 Do you have any family members in the arts? No. None, neither of my parents are musical. My grandpa, um, he played piano by ear. 
and played a little bit of guitar, you know, just by ear. But, uh, and he was like in the choir at church, but, um, no, we don't have anybody formally trained. Uh, and I think that was part, you know, not part of it, but I remember, uh, I, I had Furman university on my list of schools that I was like, well, if I want to do music, I could go to Furman and that would be a great move. And that was a great decision for dumb Laney to make, but I didn't realize I was like, Oh yeah, I'll just apply as music and you know, it'll be fine. I, I, and nothing clicked in my brain that, yeah, you got to do an audition and you got to go and meet like nothing. So, you know, I didn't get into a music program cause I didn't go and audition and it's like, Oh, that's fine. I didn't want to do that anyway. So just kind of floating along sorely misinformed, just kind of blissfully unaware of what I was supposed to do kind of flying by the, literally by the seat of my pants. So it's, it's kind of hilarious now that I look back on it and like, just no idea. And my parents, you know, I was changing what I wanted to do every day. So they were just like, yeah, you'll figure it out. You know, it'll be fine. And it, it was fine. It, it did end up getting sorted out. But, um, <laughs> if I knew now what I knew then that would be, you know, that would have been beneficial knowledge. Um, but yeah, uh, I did a lot of drum set at Clemson. That was my main, I was the drum set player. So um, that was really my kind of specialty. When I was a junior, we did a honors percussion ensemble for the day of percussion. And, uh, Susan Powell and Joe Krieger came down. That's how I got connected with her. I remember we played, we played a couple, we played his piece, one of his pieces and then one of her pieces. And, um, I remember her just kind of staring at me like during rehearsal and going, Hmm, like, and she approached me later and she was like, I think you would really do well at Ohio state. Like you should consider it if you're looking at grad schools. She followed up with, with Paul Byer as well. She was like, look, I think Laney would be a great fit up here, you know, see what you can do on your end. Um, so then I started looking at grad schools and before then my plan was to move to Nashville and just play in the bar circuit and just have a good time. You know, I was like, yeah, I'll get one of my friends to move up there with me and we'll just, you know, figure again, blissfully unaware. Yeah. Then I started looking into, okay, well, if you want to go the collegiate route, like collegiate teaching route, you're gonna have to get, you know, a master's degree and a doctorate. So Susan, she, um, she recruited me pretty heavily. So I went up there and it was a great experience. Um, I liked everything that I saw. And so I, I auditioned there and then I auditioned at South Carolina with Scott Herring, um, just to kind of really as kind of as a backup. Um, I think to this day, he's still a little hurt that I chose Ohio state over him, but, um, I, I wanted to, to have that experience and I had never lived outside of South Carolina. I'm so glad I did it because I grew so much as a human while I was away from home, uh, before I came back down here. So I think it was definitely the right move and, you know, things, they, things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So, um, that was where I ended up going. And, you know, it was, it was a very cold two years. I did not like that weather at all. Um, and I got, again, I got a little burnout towards the end of it. It's served me very well. I couldn't do any of the world percussion stuff that I did at legacy or even some of the world stuff that I do with Jason now. Um, had I not gone up to Ohio state, Joe Krieger is a mastermind when it comes to some of that stuff. And, um, I loved, working with him on hand drumming techniques and um he's a coordination drum set guru like the guy can do just about anything um and i think that that's again something else that really served me well so it was a, it was a great experience 
So have I been pronouncing your name wrong the whole time? So my middle name is technically Lane. I go by Laney, but technically that's a nickname. No, you have not been. But so, I don't correct people if that's what well, you're asking. Yeah. Fair enough. But like for the purposes of the podcast and when I introduce you, Laney. Lane or Laney? Laney. Okay. That's what I need to know. Yes. And Malden. Malden. Yes. You got that right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Maudlin, yes. which I'm sure is happens 14 times a day. Yes. It's and buyer does it too. He'll send me an email and it'll be like, Hey, or he'll, he'll forward, uh, you know, a new student my way. And it's hi, check out professor Maudlin. And I'm like, buyer, come on, man. Like you, you, I was your student for four years and now I've been working with you for just as equally as longer actually. Yeah. And you still are getting my name wrong. Come on, man. Um, but yeah, autocorrect is a terrible thing when it comes to my last name. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> So when did you get uh, your first drum set and what, what kind of stuff were you playing when you first got it? We had my high school program that I grew up in. We had, we were one of the lucky um, programs that had a percussion specialist. So his name was Mr. Stowe, Bill Stowe. Um, and he, um, he was a, a very unique individual. He, um, that can mean a lot. He, yeah. Right. Just, yeah. Just hold on. Uh, <laughs> so he would, um, pick a nickname for you and that was your new name. So, um, you know, based on a situation or something that he thought of that he associated with you with, that would become your name. And that was your name for the rest of time. So I actually got a phone call from him. It's probably been five or six years now. And he's still calling me by my nickname. My nickname was Fastlane. And so I talked to him on the phone and this is when I, you know, I'm in my late twenties. I'm like, Hey, Mr. Stowe, like, how are you doing? He's like, Hey, fast lane. How you doing? I'm like, Oh, okay. So we're, you're not going to call me Laney, even though I'm not your student. Okay. We're, we're back. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like did not skip a beat at all. Like I'm, in ten, I'm, I'm 16 again, right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of part of the culture too. We called each other our, our nicknames and we kind of bought into the whole thing, but, um, he was a brilliant man. He had a, is a brilliant man. He's, you know, he's still with us. Um, he has a, a system for teaching that is incredible. Um, he basically has you learn every possible combination of two rhythms. So for example, a quarter note and an eighth note, you play every possible combination of those within a bar of four, four with all different kinds of stickings. So his system is a number system that reflects where you plug in those beats. Anyway, it's, it made me, all of us really become really good sight readers because we now have this, you know, foundation of, okay, I know that when this looks like this, it's going to sound like this and I can stick it this way. I can stick it this way, or I can stick it this way, you know? Um, so he was, um, foundational. Anyway, he really encouraged my, my parents to get me a drum set when I was in eighth grade. So that was my birthday present. And so in April rolled around, uh, my parents were like, well, Lainey, uh, you know, we've got a surprise for you. I'll never forget like walking in and seeing it, seeing the boxes and going, what? Like, I, cause I, before that I was, this was my drum set at home. It was a piece piano bench with three folders and my practice pads. So mm -hmm. I was hitting folders and playing along with Hootie and the Blowfish and yeah. Reliant K and not doing my jazz band homework like I was supposed to be doing. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. I'm going to have my own set. And so then they were like, yeah, Mr. Stowe is going to come over to our house and he's going to set it up in your bedroom for you. You're going to help him. And 
like immediately mortified. I was just like, oh my God, he's, my teacher is coming to my house, let alone into my space, my bedroom. And he's going to help me set up my, like, what? Like you did what mom? Like, why couldn't you like have somebody else set it up or, you know, use somebody at church that, you know, plays the drums. So anyway, I, I got over that. Well, the day rolls around where Mr. Stowe is coming over to set up my drum set. And that morning before my mom dropped me off, she goes, oh, by the way, Mr. Stowe's going to bring you home from school, which you can't do that nowadays. You can't have a teacher transport a student. But mom had given her permission and Mr. Stowe like picked me up and I was just like, oh, my God, I'm riding with my percussion teacher to my house. And this is just the worst day of my life. Like I'm in eighth grade and, you know, that was the only thing that mattered. But um Anyway, I still have that drum set. It's set up in, over, right over there. Um, and it's, it's just a little Yamaha kit. But my parents, he, he advised them to get a quality kit right out of the gate. Um, and he showed me how to put it together and showed me how to take care of it. And, um, yeah, I still got it, which is saying something, <laughs> I think. So. Yeah, you're right. You can't. That, can't do that anymore. Can't nope. do that anymore. Well, if nothing else, maybe, maybe it forced you to, I don't know, let's say like, pick up stuff in your room, like clean it a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had, I was putting stuff away and hiding things like, yeah, please don't look at this. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, my parents were, they were smart about the way they did it. Cause it got me to do probably something that they wanted me to do without, you know, them directly telling me to do it. I'll, I'll never forget. I had blue carpet in my bedroom mm-hmm. and I'll never forget setting up my drum set on that blue carpet with Mr. Stowe. Okay. Fast lane. Look at this. All right. Fast lane. Make sure you do this. Like blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it's been really cool to kind of keep in touch with people that, you know, are also, we're also percussionists in high school who, you know, didn't pursue it full time. We still greet each other with our percussion nicknames. So like, you know, anytime I'm back home, if I see somebody, um, it's like, Hey, fast lane. Oh, Hey, how's it going? Like your name was pumpkin, right? Like, or Hey lumpy, how's it going? Like we all had random and you know, they, they, it ran the gamut. We had a kid named six because he, well, no, his name was one, two, three first. Cause he, for, he was nervous in a playing test and couldn't count to four. So then we got to high school and we were like, we don't want to call you one, two, three. That's too much effort. So we added all the numbers up and called him six. And then Mr. Stowe switched over and started calling him six. So it was kind of like, okay, we're not going to call him Trey, even though that's his name. We'll keep calling him a number and he's going to be number six. Okay. Got it. Random. Yeah. That's no, that's good stuff. When you're in high school, are you, I know that it sounds like the drum set is the focus, but was this, were you still doing kind of all of the other band related? Oh yeah. Stuff like marching and, and concert yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the snare line all four years in high school. So I was involved with the marching band I'd started jazz band in middle school. And I think that was when he noticed, Hey, you know, she's got something that we need to tap into here. Um, so I did jazz band all through high school, again, blissfully unaware. I didn't audition for all state jazz band until I was in a senior and I made it and I probably could have made it if I, you know, if I had known about it, but it was just something that wasn't on my radar. And he wasn't like, he didn't like to use the internet. He didn't like using computers. So like he didn't know, I don't think he was aware of some opportunities that maybe we could have been doing, um, or our band director didn't communicate with him about what we could have been doing. Yeah. So I was involved in all of that stuff. Um, the, the concert band we had, we had an orchestra at the church that I grew up in. And so I would play there on Sundays and that was that, that really helped with my sight reading, um, because I was 
sight reading glockenspiel parts and crash symbol parts and timpani parts if if the main guy wasn't there um and on the flip side if i wasn't in that service i was in the, the contemporary service playing drum set so it was kind of like you know i had that feeding into my development as a musician as well um so i again you know i was pretty heavily involved in just about everything just because i liked being busy i liked doing the thing you know i didn't want to be at home studying all the time or you know whatever it was and it's it's now that i've reflect on it it's like you know coming from a non-musical background or non-musical family i guess i should say it's kind of unique that i didn't have that yeah. you know push to do other things but yeah so there was no student government or sports or anything that was filling out your time no nope. no nah. I didn't No, I did basketball in middle school. And then I was like, no, I'm not, I don't want to do this anymore. I played some like church league, I think. Sure. Uh, but my brother is an athlete. So, mm-hmm. you know, my parents raised two kids from two totally different worlds mm-hmm. and he, he was a football player. So like he came up and that's all he did. And I came up and I'm doing music. So my parents got to experience two totally different worlds um, because he was the athlete. And I just kind of, I gravitated towards something that I enjoyed. I, you know, I, I grew up horseback riding, so I guess you could call that a, a sport. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like my other, if I wasn't on the band field, I was trying to be out at the barn riding a horse. Uh, I started that in second grade. So that was a, a big part of my life until I got to college. But um, yeah, no, no sports. What was your um, like horse jumping? Like what was your, uh, your thing. Yeah, it was uh, it was Western, so okay. like barrels and mm-hmm. uh, barrels is the big one. Trail rides mostly, so we would go out there and uh, in the summertime, particularly, um, the parents would rotate who carpooled because this was this was you know twenty thirty minutes away from where we lived, um, and they would drop us off at like eleven o'clock in the morning, and the instructor would find us chores to do. So she would have us muck stalls, or she would have us you know clean up around the barn and you know, it was free labor for her. And, you know, for us, it was like, I, 100 times out of 100 times, I would have mucked a stall over cleaning my room, because I would be out in the barn, and I'm there. And if we got done with all of our chores, and there was a horse available, we could, you know, take the horse into one of the arenas and, you know, ride or play games or do whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was it was definitely um, a great way to grow up that that lady is the one who taught me how to drive. She had oh. a Jeep, and in the summertime, like when we were 12, 13, she would take us across the street to a, 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 a cornfield, and it had a dirt road, and she'd say, okay, it's your turn to drive. Here we go. And that's, yeah, that's how I started driving. I almost hit a cow one time, and it was like, well, you got to make sure you hit the brakes when you see a cow. A moving animal is a good time to hit the brakes. Yeah, like my parents didn't have to teach me how to drive. Miss Bonnie did. <laughs> we learned all of our life lessons from her in the summertime when we were out there all day. That was why I was a pre-vet major going into Clemson. I thought I was going to do a an equine business concentration and move to Kentucky and, you know, be a, a famous trainer, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you're a golfer, you want to be a caddy for one of the Masters players or something like that, you know. I, I don't think I would have ever come down to that, but mm-hmm. that was what I enjoyed. Um, and then the drumming thing, it, it, it was a shift. The drumming thing was the side gig. And then I got to college and drumming became the main gig and yeah. all this other stuff that I had grown up doing became the side gig. Mm-hmm. So what was the last time you rode? It's been a minute. Yeah. So the girl, one of the girls I grew up with, we 
room together at Clemson. Mm-hmm. We're still friends. Um, we still hang out anytime we're in the same city. Yeah. Um, she had a horse that she sold, I think three or four years ago and we would go out occasionally. So it's probably been five years, mm-hmm. um, since I've ridden, um, cause she got rid of him. And then that was kind of like my last tie with that chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a cool way to grow up, yeah. you know, just out in the country, hanging out, having a good time. Now, are there ways with you being at Clemson that, okay, you're in the state, but it's a large state university. Were there any things that were like football or something like that, that was just like, this is very different than even though I'm in the state, but the environment of Clemson is, is felt different. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a great question. Not really. And, and, and here's why my, both my parents grew up at, or went to Clemson. So we grew up going to games and Clemson was kind of like a second home to me. Sure. So I think the biggest difference, um, when I got to that part of, of life was just being on my own and meeting new people, you know, I, I that's going to be any collegiate experience. And I think, I, I hope I understood your question correctly. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was super familiar with, with the campus itself. And I think that made me very comfortable. I didn't have that when I went to Ohio state, cause I didn't know anything about the campus. I just kind of had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at Clemson, like I knew where the buildings were, I knew what their names were. I knew my way around yeah. the area I had. Um, so the, my college roommate, um, I had her and then two other girls that we literally went all the way through elementary, middle, high school together. Like, so I had a support system that was really, you know, huge in terms of, of making it feel like, Oh, this is not really, yeah, it's different from high school, but it's not. And that's great. You know, you've got something that you can kind of fall back on. Nothing that particular, particularly sticks out. When you start taking from Paul, what kinds of things do you find that he needs to fix or help you out with everything except for drum set. Um, the first semester of lessons, I took drum set with him Mm -hmm. just so that he could really, you know, he had only heard me play in auditions and I think that was more so, so that he could get a, a, a better idea of where I was. So I did drum set my first semester. And then when I switched into the program, that was when he was like, okay, well now we're going to do some mallet lessons. You need to learn how to play with four mallets. And that was just like, oh God, like I saw the the front ensemble people doing that in high school. And I was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want anything to do with that. Like keep me away. I was a, I was the snare drummer through and through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he had his work cut out for me. He really did because he, um, he taught me all that I know about mallet percussion because I didn't do any of that in high school. Um, and that was obviously huge to my development. I mean, the fact that I couldn't hold four mallets as a freshman and then I was playing, you know, Virginia Tate by the end of my senior year, like that's, that's huge. That's, that's yeah. a big deal. Um, and you know, not to say that that's not what every, every college program is, is doing, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. He, um, he was really patient, which was really, really important. I think for me as a student, I needed some of that kind of gentle kind of guidance. Mr. Stowe was not that way. He was kind of like, you do this this way. And that was, it was kind of like not tough love, but it was kind of like there were no gray areas on what his expectations were and mm-hmm. what the, the consequences were if we didn't meet those expectations. Um, it sounds like he, Mr. Stowe might've been also kind of like the, 
like here's the like this is the like it, it's there's it's a so, somewhat of a not having you be the um you're the sponge who's taking in the information but you may not be the one who's who's helping to figure it out I yes guess. yeah he was very by the book like this is how we're doing it and yeah. you're gonna figure out how to you're gonna do that thing it's yeah. like we were just talking about that traditional approach like this is the way it's always been done this is how we're gonna do it this is how i'm gonna teach you and this is what you're gonna take away from it yeah, yeah. very much that kind of an idea buyer was definitely not like that and so he opened up my percussion viewpoint immensely. He, he was, he's definitely um, been a mentor for me throughout, you know, if any career move that I have, I'm calling him and I'm asking him for his advice because I know that he's going to a shoot me straight and B he's going to be able to give me something, you know, that I can take away. That's going to help me not only make the right decision for me as a percussionist, but also for me as a human, because he's known me for so long, which is, you know, I, I think that there's, a lot of percussion professors that do a great job with that. And then I think there are some uh, students that go away from programs and they don't feel like they have that kind of a relationship with their, with their professor. And so um, I'm really grateful for that for sure. Or whoever's hired you back there, then clearly that was a worthwhile relationship on his end. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. And that has been so incredible, like to, to be able to, take some time away, you know, while I figured out my life literally, Mm -hmm. and then come back as a professor. And, you know, I'm talking to some students and I'm saying, look, I literally was sitting in your seat like 10 years ago. I was there. I I understand where you're coming from. Um, And that's really, that's really cool. And a lot of the staff is still the same. So, you know, Dr. Byer is still there and the director of bands, Mark Speed, I, which he's a, he's also a percussionist. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I did an independent study on, on jazz drum set with him my junior year. And like, he completely changed the way I, that I play. Like it was, it was a game changer from a drum set standpoint and just a kind of like a pedagogical approach. He mm-hmm. uh, introduced me to Moeller method and mm-hmm. we went through the Chapin book together and he had me learn it one way. And then we completely went back and tried it a whole different way. And wow. he had me transcribing Buddy Rich solos. Like it was a lot but it was, it was awesome for me as a, as a student, I was eating it up. It was great. Um, he wasn't so, having you transcribe Buddy Rich yelling at band members, was he? No, no. But that was part of the, uh, the research was him going, okay, you need to watch this video and you need to listen to what he's saying to, to the guys on the bus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He was all about was it. And insane. we would like spend, so we would, we met twice a week. And one of those times would be in a drum set room so that we're yeah. like playing together. And then the other time was just in his office and it was just like videos or audio files or him saying, okay, you need to try this and, and work through this. And um, it was kind of, it was really fun to pick his brain. He fought, he was like a buddy rich. Um, I don't want to say groupie, but he followed him around and, and went to all of his shows for between a certain time period. And so you know, he's seen him live and he's got all this like knowledge. Oh, you should check out this recording. Cause it's got him playing this solo and it's super cool. And, um, yeah, I, a lot of, you know, I take things from any kind of teacher that I've ever worked with, but, um, from a, like just approach to drumming in general, like that was huge. Laney, you gotta relax. Laney, you gotta use your like molar method, loosey goosey, like flop a little bit. And like, it's huge. The man has faster single strokes than, I can, I've ever seen really. (laughs) And and a lot of it is just his approach to being super relaxed, which is cool. Um, But yeah, you know, they're all still there. So I I showed back up as a, as an adjunct faculty member and I was like, 
oh, it's like you never left. Welcome back. Like, we're so glad to have you. And that was really cool to, you know, just walk into that welcoming kind of environment. It's like, okay, I'm coming back home. This is great. Like, um, and, and I tell people all the time through COVID and, you know, through the legacy job and things that I balance, Clemson is always like the highlight of my week. That's, I go there and it's like, okay, this is where I, you know, I grew up a lot here, but I'm also getting to teach here. You know, it's, it's really incredible for sure. The Buddy Rich stuff is fascinating because, you know, even now you can watch some of the, some of those old, like particularly when he was, when he was pretty young Mm -hmm. and, and it is pretty astounding how fast and loud, like you, it's fun to watch the band members watch him because even they're just like, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause they're, they're whipping their head around going, whoa, like, (laughs) yeah, man, it's, it's wild. Uh, and, and speed, he was, he had that whole history down pat. So we were just go, go through it. It was, it was great. Yeah. It was super awesome. You probably learned, you might've learned a lot of, of cuss words too, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Well, any that were not already in my vocabulary, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. That was, (laughs) if I didn't already say them all the time, then yeah, yeah, that was when they got added to the, to the repository. Maybe it was just inflections of. Right. Yeah. 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 Do you remember uh, stuff you played lit-wise, senior recital or uh, ensemble stuff? I kept a lot of my music. I know I played Virginia Tate was my marimba solo. Um, I play. I don't remember what the name of my timpani solo was. I think it was a, it was a Vic Firth piece though. I played a Kapetsky snare drum solo. Okay. I really enjoyed, and I didn't take snare drum lessons with Bayer until I was preparing for that recital. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I marched with Clemson my two of my four years, and I think he didn't really feel like I needed a whole lot of direction in that area. So we kind of put that on a back burner so that I could work on some of the mallet, some of the mallet stuff. Um, I did a jazz combo, so I did a couple standards because that was a, again that was a lot of of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did cold and, prep. And during those, did you take a ten or a fifteen minute drum solo solo during those? Oh yeah. No. So that's another thing. I hate soloing. So I was just like, uh, Byer was like, well, no, so Lainey, it's a combo. So you've got to, you got to solo. And it's like, nah, dude, like, I don't want to solo. Like, I just want to play. I just want to groove back here and comp. Just let me comp. And my buddy, Tim, he's going to take mad sick guitar solos and I'm just going to just chill, you know? Um, and I remember just being like, because I I've always felt more inspired at big band concerts. Like if I had an open drum solo, mm-hmm. I remember I would get like pumped up for it, and it was like, yeah, because yeah. then you've got this big band behind you to kind of punch. And right. Right. Yeah. with a combo, I was always like, oh, man, I don't want to do it. Go here, like it's so exposed, and like I'm gonna yeah. screw up, and it's not gonna be interesting. So I I mean I did something. I have not listened to those recordings. I hate listening to stuff that I've done, but. Um, I haven't listened to those recordings in a minute, but I do remember being like, oh, I don't want a solo here, but I got to take a solo. Yeah. Now. My multi was cold pressed and that was fun. Oh yeah. That's um, yeah. I had to, so at Clemson, we don't have like a percussion, a dedicated percussion space. Mm-hmm. So it was just band room and the band room was extremely overbooked. It's still extremely overbooked. So I would get to the band room at like seven o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and like, go ham on cold press for an hour before the first, before the first class started. And I just remember like dreading those early mornings because it was, it wasn't like an easy, it's not like a vibraphone solo where it's just kind of like you're slowly waking up and, 
No, it was just like, dun, dun, like in your face. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I enjoy multiple percussion a lot. I think mm. that was something that we, when I got up to Ohio state, we explored a lot more. Yeah. Um, and that has been something that I just enjoy playing that stuff. Emily and I, whenever we're looking at rep, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always gearing towards drummy drum, like multiple percussion, or let me play the drum set part. And she's more of like the melodic instruments. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice balance because we can kind of program things that are equally, you know, enticing from both mm-hmm. standpoints. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the drummer through and through for sure. When you get to Ohio State, what kinds of things, um, in terms of learning from Susan and Joseph are similar or different from learning from Paul? I think the biggest thing that I remember taking from both, both of my educational experiences was really focusing on transferability. Specifically at Ohio State, Krieger would find ways to transfer world percussion knowledge into like, for example, I was playing, um, Powell had me playing Nancy for, you know, a, a portion of one of my um, lessons. Mm-hmm. And Krieger came in with world percussion and like added a world percussion track underneath. Mm-hmm. And the whole point was I was tensing up on certain sections and it was like destroying my accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as he started playing with me, like I know, I realized that I was like, oh, okay, it's grooving. And so you know, we talked about like taking that background and transferring it mentally into what I was playing. Yeah. And that's something that Bayer was always talking to, to us about was, you know, you're playing these instruments, they're all in the same family. So you've got to find ways to kind of plug in all the tools in your toolbox and using those across these different instruments. Yeah. Are we going to have differences? Absolutely. Um, but I think that was the biggest thing. Um, obviously there were a lot of differences between the two, the two cultures mm-hmm. uh, between Ohio state and Clemson, but uh, the transferability piece was huge. Um, and I, I really, that was something that I really gravitated towards when I was going up there for my audition, Susan and I, we just kind of really clicked right off the batch. Mm-hmm. I liked the way that she taught. Um, and I didn't really get to know Krieger until I got up there. And then it was kind of funny. There was kind of almost a shift because I became Krieger's like buddy because we were both the drumming people. And then, um, I would, you know, go in for my lessons with, with Powell and she and I just kind of from a personality level, we really jive together. Um, but our experience and our interests were in kind of totally different worlds. So, um, it was kind of nice to have that balance. And I, I wasn't used to that because I just had fire at Clemson, Mm -hmm. um, and then speed was, he was always busy with band stuff. So if I wanted the drum set kind of thing, I would have to kind of seek him out. And, um, with, with Powell and Krieger, they're always both right there, but, um, yeah, transferability for sure. I think, um, there were some similar, this is like super specific, but mm-hmm. I, we played a couple of percussion ensemble pieces at Ohio state that I had played Clemson. So like their selections, their programming was very similar, which I've always found interesting because to my knowledge, they don't really run in the same circle. You know, there are all kinds of little circles in the percussion community Mm -hmm. and um, the simpatico circle between UNCG when Keaton was there. And did, did you study with Keaton? No, Corporal McLaren. Okay. Got it. Um, 
Belmont with Chris Norton, um, Scott Herring. So they kind of have like this little, they just pass their students around. And it was kind of random for me to be plopped into the middle of that because, you know, most of the studio was from one of these other institutions. And this here's Lainey from Clemson. Like, what is she doing here? Um, and I've always found that interesting that Bayer and Powell and Krieger were, would, would select repertoire that's very similar in a similar vein. But, um, yeah, um, that was another kind of thing that I noticed, you know, it stuck out to me, I guess. I would say when I got to Ohio State, the, the focus continued to be on, you know, increasing my comfortability within the mallet percussion mm-hmm. realm. Um, and my, you know, specifically my, my rep list like exploded when I got into grad school because mm-hmm. I had all this time to practice and I didn't have to be in all these ensembles and things like mm-hmm. that. So what was the culture shock, culture shock like getting there? Oh, dude. Well, first of all, uh, country come to town. I thought that Columbus was like maybe Charlotte size or like maybe Greenville size. And we dro- my mom drove up with me for my audition. I remember when we were pulling into Columbus, I was like, oh, God, this place is huge. Like Columbus is a big town. Yeah. And uh, I just again, blissfully unaware, just didn't really know, didn't get it. I didn't get it until I got on campus and I was like, oh my God, this is like real city. Like I'm going to be living. And, and I just, that was the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everybody said I had an accent and I've been told by Southern people that my accent isn't quite as noticeable. I don't think it's quite as thick as it could be. I can turn it on and off and, Mm -hmm. and I do sometimes just to mess with people. Mm -hmm. But, um, I would say little things phrases and things and some of the students would go hold on what does that mean mm-hmm. or Powell she would even stop me in a lesson she would be like wait what did you just say and I was like oh blah, blah, blah. it means you know so and so um and that was kind of the the hick I guess you could say in the studio kind of uh, oh yeah this lady she's from south um but wait, I, wait was it like would you sit there and say something like oh bless her heart and then they'd be like uh Hold on. What does that mean? I'm like, right. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you get it. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were, we had a gathering at one point and um, we were at the professor's house and she was, Powell was asking if we, anybody wanted seconds. And I was like, no, I'm full as a tick. And she was like, what'd you just say? And I was like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> you just let it go. Let it go. Um, Cause they just slide out sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know? And um but that was, that was a big thing. And, and they would, I would, you know, find myself explaining a lot that first year. Okay. This is what I mean when I say this, but uh, I think the big, like just in general living in Columbus, I was used to like, if you pass somebody on the street, you're going to wave or you're going to smile. Like none of that was happening. And I was like, Oh, okay. I just look like a creep. Cause I'm waving to every person that I pass. Um, and, you know, I figured that out real quick. I, I got my feelings hurt every time somebody honked their horn at me. I was like, what did I do? I, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. I missed the light. Like, please don't honk your horn at me. And then, like, year two, I'm honking my horn. Like, course, when yeah. I would come back down to South Carolina, I would be like, oh, this guy is taking forever. Honk, honk. Like, <laughs> so I quickly assimilated into that kind of uh, fast-paced culture. And, I, you know, it was... My mom would be like, why are you honking your horn? That's like an atrocity. And I'm like, no, like he, he wasn't paying attention. Like, yeah. come on, mom. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was wild. The weather, I couldn't, I was up there when we had one of those polar vortex things. And like, yeah. I was going in early to practice and it was negative, like 
15 degrees with the wind chill. And like, I was like, I am out of here. Like as soon as I'm done with this program, I'm going back to the South because this is miserable. I walked outside to take out my trash one time and my hair froze. Like it was wet. Cause I had just gotten out of the shower and I was like, my hair is crunchy. Oh God. Like <laughs> it's just stuff like that, you know? Um, Again, I'm glad. I feel like I have a tougher skin when it comes to cold weather now. You know, people are like, "Oh my god, it's freezing outside." I was like, "It's 50 degrees. Like you're gonna be fine. It's not 12 degrees or anything." Um, but I, I did enjoy living in Columbus after I kind of got comfortable. Yeah. Um, cool town. Lots of stuff happening, and there's such a thriving arts community up there and they're everybody is so supportive of each other and there's so many outlets for musicians and and not just like you know drummers going to play covers in a bar it's like cool new um, compositions and like chamber groups and I miss that being back in Greenville I'm kind of like sucked back into okay if you want to tour or if you want to kind of play around in this area, you got to play bar songs and you got to have a rock and roll band. Like yeah. that's what we do around here. And it's like, I just want a little bit of, you know, I guess more refined music Amen. every once in a while. I'm going to guess that you might've been too young to go to the Pasics when they were in Columbus. Yes. I did not attend any of those. Okay. Cause the, that's, that's when I've been there and okay. I thought they were really good. Like I, I was kind of surprised how much I liked. It was freezing. I mean, it was November. It was, it yeah. was that part sucked, but, but the actual town I kind of liked. Yes. You know, there's so much to do and there's so many different little like boroughs, you know, right. like Germantown is cool. And, um, gosh, I can't even remember some of those. the short North. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, it's there. It's, it's grown a lot. I haven't been up there in many years. Um, but the last couple of times I did go up there, like stuff was changing. The, you know, our favorite bar was like completely gone and it was a bunch of high rise apartments. It's like, Oh no, like that's where we used to go before the Thursday night concert. It's like, Oh, that sucks. You know? Um, but yeah, it's, there's just a lot more there than you think. You think Ohio, it's in the middle of, of the country. There's nothing yeah. there. And I feel like it's just kind of a thriving like city metropolis really yeah. um which is it's it's a hidden gem i think mm-hmm. i really do think that a lot of people don't know about it yeah. and i kind of want it to stay that way you know let let the columbus people just kind of do their thing because mm-hmm. i will say this i was concerned moving up to ohio that people were not going to be quite as friendly and i never really ran into that it was yeah there was a cultural difference of like smiling and waving at people on the street oh, but right. also you know Everybody that <clears throat> that I came in contact with and, and had relationships with was very welcoming and, and yeah, yeah. super open-minded and kind. And that's something that sticks with you. You know, it's just like, oh, okay. You know, it's this big, huge place and lots of stuff to do. Um, and there's nice people there, too. It's kind of like Canada, you know? I, you go up to Canada and everybody in Canada is nice. And it's like, oh, I could live here, man. Mm-hmm. Great. Except for the cold part. Except for the cold part. Yeah, I hate that part. And maybe the cold is what makes them so nice. I haven't figured out the science on that, but um, nice people come from cold weather, I feel like, in certain instances. So I don't, I, I don't know. I'll let you know. I'm going to do some research, and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Now, you mentioned in the beginning that the six years for mm-hmm. undergrad and grad, you were kind of tapped out, it yeah. sounds like. 
Yeah. Uh, did that manifest itself in any way? Had Was there a thought prior to that, to the end of that time where you're like, well, maybe I'll just continue on and get the doctorate and blah, blah, blah. So what, what, what was going on there? Yeah. Uh, great question. At that point, um, there were some cultural issues happening at Ohio State, um, at least within the percussion studio. And things have since drastically improved and and for the better, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that was where a lot of students, that's what we were all experiencing. So I know mm-hmm. I can think of at least two or three um, guys that were in master's programs with me that we didn't go on because we got burnt out because we felt like, you know, it just, there, there, there's nothing. It's just like, oh, well, it's just going to be like this when I'm going to get my doctorate. I don't want to continue. Um, like just too the, busy stuff? Like was yeah, it, you, well, you were being no, stretched out was, in two main directions? Yeah, I think that there were, there were some issues from our, from our professors with like communication uh-huh. um, specifically was, was something that was not super great because of the lack of communication at times. Uh, they wouldn't show up for lessons and they wouldn't let us know. And so that was really frustrating for those of us in grad programs because, you know, we're there to study, you know, with these people and then, you know, they're not showing up. So um, there was a lot of that happening. I think that there was, um, there were times where we kind of felt like we were just doing our studio thing and we were kind of running the ship almost Mm -hmm. by ourselves, um, which was great for us as a, as a young group, we kind of bonded together in that, but it wasn't great for morale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was just the professors had a lot of personal things that were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, they've since moved past that and things are a lot better there now, but, um, it was just kind of rocky. I just kind of was like, well, you know, I don't necessarily, I also have, and this is like going way deep here, but mm-hmm. I've, I've struggled a lot with, um, my like self-confidence as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that was not was not new when I was going in for my master's degree, but it's something where I always felt like I didn't quite stack up to the competition. So it was like, well, I'm not going to go on for a doctorate because I'm burnout. Um, I probably can't get a scholarship. So, cause I'm not good enough. So I'm just going to not even bother, you know, that kind of like, why would I set myself up for failure when, you know, I know that I'm not going to want to do that. So a lot of that played into it. I will say that. And that was just kind of a me, my personal journey, feeling like I wasn't, you know, capable of being the caliber of player that was required at a DMA level. Um, I think that has changed. <laughs> I think yeah. nowadays, if, if I was knowing what I know now after working for several years, you know, and, and um, getting into the the educational side of things, I think that I would have been just fine. But in the, in that, that moment as I, as a master's student, I was like, no, I don't want to put the time in for these auditions because I'm not good enough and it's not going to manifest in anything. And there's no jobs out there. So why would I want to do that? If there's no guaranteed jobs, I'll just go figure it out, you know? And that's just the nature of the biz, you know, that's, it's the hustle. Like you, you I think that there comes as a lot of times it's at the master's degree, you get to the end of that and it's like, well, do you want to keep on going for another three or four years, depending on, you know, your, your thesis or your dissertation or your program, or do you want to just like go out there and make it? And at that point I was just like, we're going to get figured out. Like I'm going to just make something happen. Um, so yeah, that was a great question. I got a little deep there, but hopefully that's okay. Sure. It is interesting. You know what you said though, because 
Well, like now, okay, let's look at now then. I mean, is that even something that's on your radar as a as a finishing point? Or are you are you very much like not yet or or no? Yeah, that's God, that's a great question. And I find myself asking that question a lot. Um, so before I accepted this position at drum, I was like, well, this could be a great way for me to kind of tap out. And if I want to go on and get a doctorate, I could practice for a semester and start mm-hmm. figuring out like what programs I want to apply to and blah, yada, yada. Um, there are moments and and I find that they usually correlate with, with days of percussion or basic trips where Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh yeah, I really want to get back into that. And I want to do that full time. Um, and then there's also, there's always been this kind of voice in the back of my head going, well, you've got it good right now. You've got this, you got your, you're getting your college experience and you know, you're, you're, you're happy and you're doing what you love to do. So why would you kind of break something that's, Mm-hmm. I fix something that's not broken, you know? Sure. Um, but I, I haven't completely ruled it out. I just, A, I don't have the time to prep the way that I would like sure. to for a collegiate, for a DMA audition, mm-hmm. for a graduate audition. Um, and B, you know, I feel like I'm to, at this point in my career, I'm kind of happy and content with what I've done so far. Sure. Um, so I don't really feel a lot of pressure to go in that direction. I feel like I haven't quite yet tapped out to where I can achieve at this level just quite yet. So I'm just going to kind of keep rocking and rolling until I get to that point and then possibly, you know, consider going back. But I've got a colleague at Clemson and every time I see him, he's like, when are you going to get your doctorate? You got to take Byer's job whenever he retires. Like I need you in that position so that we can like conquer the world. He's, mm-hmm. he's the choral director and he, oh. you know, not to say that he, I mean, he loves Byer, but um, yeah. he, he loves me too. And, and we have a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. He's very close to my age and we've done a lot of collaborating together and, yeah. um, you know, he's, he's on me. <laughs> like, Lainey, go get your doctor. Lainey, go get your doctor. Go get your doctor. Um, so, you know, all that to say, uh, it, it hasn't been completely ruled out, but mm-hmm. I also am not saying hard yes at this point in my life. Sure. I think that's a perfectly great answer because it's right now. And, you know, don't get the doctorate unless you have a real reason to get it. Right. Um, right. It's a pain in the ass. Right. And right. and it's a lot of stress. And I feel like I in some ways had it easy. And I'm telling you this. Like, I mean, seriously, like if you feel like getting a full-time percussion position at a college is is the end goal, okay. Well, then you can leverage that. Right. To to do to do that kind of thing. And also, I mean, you would have to, you would want to be thinking about where you'd want to do it, which would right. also be a major factor. Right, 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 right. Because after I went to Ohio State, Scott Herring has just kept, he mm-hmm. just kind of, every time he sees me, hey, Lainey, like, how's it going? Kind of chumming it up a little bit. It's yeah. like, yeah, I know, I know, Scott. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that I, I, cho- I chose them over you. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like, there's another option. Like, exactly. Yeah. 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 And he just stays on my radar all the time. Um, and, you know, that's, that would, that's a whole nother consideration. It's like, I don't even know where I would go. I don't, I'm not super tapped into like growing programs. I know where my students are auditioning and where, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're wanting to go and things like that. But yeah. um, that would just, that would be a total game changer. It's funny that, you know, we're, we're having this conversation. We, we talk about this. We talked about this a lot at work mm-hmm. uh, at the studio and, and 
Jason's kind of of the mindset of why would you go back and get a graduate degree? Like you're doing what you want to do, man. Like you're having fun and you're, you know, you love your job. And it's like, well, yeah, but I also really enjoy teaching collegiately. And I don't, he doesn't have quite as much experience in that realm. And so, you know, he's doing what he really loves and he's so passionate about it. Um, And I think sometimes like when we've interviewed people or when we've brought instructors on for a semester or two they'll go on to get their doctorate or to go to a master's program he's like why why are you doing that like you've got it made here and so it's something that pops up frequently at work and so then I go I go right back through that same cycle of well should I do this should I not do this like he's doing it so I could do it you know I could make it work um you know kind of questioning but mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see what happens I'm still flying by the seat of my pants I'm nothing if not consistent so who knows? Check back with me in 20 years. Maybe I'll have seven doctorates at that point, you know? Sure. Yeah. Because we'll you're this. just like, this is fun. Yeah. I love learning. <laughs> <laughs> and debt. Debt is great. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, Lainey, I finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Hit me. All right. So I won't do that. But first question is an issue in percussion education, percussion literature, or no, percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. Oh my God. When dudes, old dudes, old white dudes come up to me and like, you play them drums because I'm a female that Mm -hmm. grinds my gears, man. I I was playing a church service. Oh gosh. It was probably a month ago now. Um, and there was this, a group came in to uh, like a, a a guest choir came in to play and I was tuning a snare drum. We had busted a head and uh-huh. so I'm like fixing the drum yeah. and I'm minding my own business. I'm not right. looking at like they're doing their thing and yeah. I'm just doing my thing. Like, don't bother me. I'm in my little plexiglass cage. Like, leave yeah. me alone. Like yeah. I'm basically in a box. You're, you're, this, you're not know, wearing, you're not wearing the shirt that says, please give me advice. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Got yes. you. I got you. Yeah. You, you, you. That shirt was not being worn that day. No, uh-uh. Nope. I, I left that one at home that okay. day. Yeah. And so he, yeah, he's like, you play the drums. And I like explicitly ignored him. I was like, I am not going to even look at you. I'm not going to talk to you. If I look at you, I'm going to probably make you explode with the stare that you're going to get. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be great for you. Yeah. And, but like, you know, it happens all the time. Like I've got guys that come up, Hey, I played drums in high school. Like you sound so good. It's like, dude, just cause I'm a girl does not mean that I cannot play this instrument. And, and yeah, I'm damn well better than you are. Go mm-hmm. sit down. Like you haven't played a kit in 20 years. Like it's I fine. Know. I get it. I know how to do this. God, it, it just, and I, I see that happening to my, my young girl students. I have a lot of female students that mm-hmm. I teach. And I love that. Like, I think it's so cool. Cassidy and I are doing a, a camp just for females this summer. And we're mm, just cool. calling it Drum Girl Drum. And it's like girls of all ages, we're trying to empower them and like, yeah, yeah. you know, really, you know, get them fired up about drumming. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's, a, that's just a key problem, I think. Yeah. I, I understand why. And I understand you know, that, that has improved immensely in, in recent years, but it still drives me crazy that there are some narrow-minded people who that particular evolution has not quite yet reached in the greater public. And it's just like, they're surprised. They're still surprised that women are, it's like, bro, it's 2022. Yes. We play drums now Yeah, and we're good at it. Like leave us alone. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I got a little. little no, fired. no, I'm no. I, well, it's interesting. I mean, the next question would have been you basically covered it, which was you know being a 
percussionist who's also female identifying and right. all that. And you've kind of taken care of that question in a lot of ways. I always think of it in terms of, I think of it in the basic way, some ways where like when I started going, I would say 5% female identifying sure. when I started going yeah. in the late nineties. Right. Yeah. And now I was, maybe it's at 12. It's right. better. It's better. Yeah. It's better, but it's still very yeah. low. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Man. And I just, there's so many people out there that are talented that are female and female identifying. And they just, they just can't, you know, get the, get the support. I think in some ways I, I was very lucky to come up in a, in a high school band program where he, we were not discriminated against, which is really great. And that's one thing, you know, credit where credits do like the band culture that I came from in high school was very like equal. And like, we had an even number of girls and boys on the drum line. Were there more girls in the bass drum line? Yeah. But like, we still had girls marching and we, you yeah, know, yeah. um, but it, it's just, I guess I would just like to see it, you know, as you said, continue to just explode, um, mm -hmm. to the point where it is more even. Um, but you know, Emily, that's something that Emily is really passionate about too. Yeah. And, and that's something that the duo, you know, we're all about her senior recital or her senior recital, her, um, dissertation, her last dissertation recital is, you know, seldom when, Oh gosh, what is it? Women's cells. Well, I get the women in the seldom mixed up with making history, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. She's got female composers writing pieces about female percussionists, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I talked to her a year ago. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that tracks. Yeah. That's yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she was, that was, I think it, that had, she was developing that. I think that yeah. was in process when, when we were talking about it. Right. Right. So I was like, that sounds amazing. So yeah, I look forward to, it. I know. Cause she's, she's actually, she gave me the Facebook invite for it. I don't know. Since I don't tomorrow. know that I can, I'm available for it, but I saw it. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm going, I'm actually, after we finish up, I'm heading to Charleston to be a family, but I'm mm -hmm. hoping I can catch, catch it on, you know, it'll be live streamed. So yeah. I'll be checking it out probably later, but yeah, yeah it's awesome. going to be great. Yeah. You Are you familiar with uh, girls March? I am, um, I, you know, not quite as I, I didn't, so I don't come from the drums, the drum corps experience that yeah. Emily did. Um, yeah. so the extent of my marching was, you know, high school and a little bit at Clemson. So I'm not quite as plugged in, but I am familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like that, that's would be a great model. Absolutely. To make for, for your experience. I think yeah, no that's awesome. Yeah. Great. No doubt. Yeah. I'm excited about it. So other questions, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? One of the, the closest girls that I have in my friend group growing up, mm -hmm. um, we went on a bachelorette party uh -huh. and, um, we, you know, as we, we do, we imbibed too much. And, um, we were, uh, we were kind of getting, you know, getting in bed for the evening, kind of turning in or whatever. And, um, <laughs> I could hear her in the other room selling somebody to hush because she was trying to do something on her phone or something. And I heard her and I was like, I hear you shushing me. And I said it really Southern. It was very thick. And she goes, so that has been a whole thing. And so she'll, she'll come up to me and she'll go, I hear you shushing me. And she asked me to be in her wedding. And that was on the, the, will you be my bridesmaid? I want you to shush me while, you know, 
I'm getting married or whatever. But like, I, she just can nail, she's hung out with me so often that she can nail the inflection so well. I hear you shushing me. And it was, it was great. Um, but her, you know, her thing, she also is, I think that she in another life was a comedian because she, I'm constantly laughing when I'm with her. And so she's got a way of kind of throwing her own little joke and, and storytelling into it. But I would say, yes. Shout out to Amber Young. That Amber would be the one who has imp- impersonated me, I think, the best, for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Orange overalls. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Why? <laughs> uh, Clemson. It's, I still have oh. them from school. It was, a, it was kind of like when you were a student, if you were in the student section, there's a, a, a history, a tradition of you buying orange overall my parent my dad still has his uh Mm -hmm. in like a a cedar chest somewhere um yeah i would say that is the most impractical thing um because i don't wear them obviously Mm -hmm. they're obnoxiously gaudy um and they faded because i would wash them and then dry them so now they're kind of more of like a salmon pink so it's just like what are you doing in these pink overalls that used to be orange um so i would say that Mm -hmm. that's my first kind of gut reaction sure um I have one of those big, like, horse race hats that's super impractical. Oh. Oh, I got another thing. Okay, sure. A beer suit. It's a beer stein. So my head sticks out of the froth at the top. That's impractical. (laughs) But I've used it a lot for Halloween. You know? It's great. (laughs) Oh, I I got you. Yeah. So your hands come out where the mug would, where the handle would go. And your head pops up at at the froth at the top. Um. Yeah, I'm kind of boring. I think that's probably... Those are good though. Yeah. That's those something. Are, are, you can use something there, you know, yeah, an orange choice. beer costume, combine nice. them, you know, <laughs> biggest kitchen mess up. I burn things constantly. I, I, I like, enjoy cooking, but yeah. I'm not great at it. There have been lots of instances where I've either turned the oven on and forgotten that it was on or, you know, put something somewhere and then forgotten it or gone to do something and then gotten caught up in that. Um, one time I think I went to go take out the trash and then I got sidetracked on the way to the trash. Um, then totally lost track of time and ended up talking to somebody and like 20 minutes later and I come back and like, there's, you know, something was burnt in the kitchen and it was just not good. Before my grandparents passed away, my grandma used to make these like holiday Danish things called Mm. cream cheese braids. Um, and when she, this is kind of a, a, a co- like my mom and I were the ones who did it, but there was flour everywhere. So we tried to make it and it, it required yeast and mm. we didn't know how yeast worked. And so it was kind of like, and it was an old like 1920s recipe. So there's no information. It's just like, put the yeast in warm water. So it's like, well, that's ambiguous. What is, what is warm? That is subjective. Like, you know, turn come to find out warm water is like 110 degree water. So quite hot. And, you know, the yeast has got to like do its thing and bubble up or whatever. Um, it was a nightmare. Like we, the, the things ended up being hard and flat and there was, like I said, there was flour all over the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was like, I'm never doing that again. Well, I figured out how to do it. So I like did some research on the recipe and I was like, okay, so we got to put the, you know, this for the yeast and do this. And so now that's my job every year is Mm -hmm. I have to dedicate a day where I'm making those cream cheese braids. And then 
you know, I figured out how to do it and they get better every year. So it's like, I still make a huge mess. Um, but the end product is now what it was supposed to be. Whereas the first year it was definitely not. Next question. What's a great movie and what's a terrible movie? Favorite movie of all time. Emperor's new groove. Hot take. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, dude. Uh, I can quote it. I Mm -hmm. think probably all the way through one of my uh, family friends, we sat down one, one, uh, afternoon at the beach and we tried, we started at the beginning and we mm-hmm. got all the way to the kitchen scene before people told us to shut up. So we got a solid 30 minutes into the movie before everybody else was completely annoyed with us <laughs> and shut it down. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I quote movies constantly. So yes. movies, TV shows, like, mm-hmm. um, I'm all over it. The worst movie. Oh, there's so many bad ones in college. We saw, <laughs> this is probably inappropriate. We saw this movie called teeth in college that was just terrible. Um, oh, I might be familiar with it. It's awful, and it, it's supposed to be, like, horror, but it's shot, like, very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, like, a B rating, like, C, probably, um, and no budget. Yeah. And we watched it in college, and I just remember really being, like, we were making fun of it because of how terrible it was. So oh, I guess it served its purpose because we were still engaged with it. Mm-hmm. Um but I would say that's the first one that came to mind. And then the second one would be Halloween. The new, there was a remake of Halloween several years back. Uh, mm. I think it was the Rob Zombie remake, actually. And mm. it was dark and, uh, like, there was it was not scary at all. Uh, so I grew up watching, like, the OG Halloween, like, 1960s or 70s or whenever it came out. Yeah. And um, so that's what I'm expecting. I want, like, suspense and jumpiness and... Yeah. Nah, this was just gore and, like, a sad story about a little kid whose family didn't love him. And I was like, I walked out of the movie theater. I spent the the $12 to go in and watch this movie, and I was like, this is ridiculous. First of all, it's not a remake. And second of all, like, it's just a sad story. I don't want to sit here and waste three hours watching blood splatter everywhere, you know? I'm not a fan of the gore genre. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, Mm -hmm. but it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. I like the suspense thriller kind of thing, but as soon as it just becomes hack, hack and slash, I'm I'm not I'm not here for it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. What is a favorite book? So I've been on a thriller kick lately. Okay. Um I just started and I know I'm way behind everybody else, but I just started reading Gone Girl and I'm excited about that because I've heard nothing but Oh, good that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fired up about it. Um, have you, do you know the have you seen the movie or no? No, so I'm coming in completely. Okay, good. good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a huge believer in read the books before. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the whole Game of Thrones series and I loved it. Like, okay. I grew up reading. Um, I was big into some of the sci-fi like fantasy novels growing mm-hmm. up, and so I did the whole Wheel of Time series. Mm-hmm. And they started a TV show on Amazon, and I watched a couple of episodes. And then they were coming out every week, so I couldn't binge it. So I lost interest very quickly because my attention span just does not fire that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was in my adult life, I started reading Game of Thrones. And it kind of took an adult kind of lens to that same genre. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that kind of thing. Um, You know, obviously Harry Potter and all that good stuff, too. uh, So nonfiction, Glennon Doyle's Untamed, fantastic. Uh, I've heard that. What, What is that about? It's just her memoir. It's a memoir about her life. And um, it's incredible. Like it's, I like the way that she wrote it. It's maybe a page, a page and a half chapters. So you can fly through it and read it very quickly in Mm -hmm. small chunks. Um, 
but the kind of overarching theme is that like life is hard, but you can do hard things. Like you can get through and you can, you know, Mm -hmm. she just shares uh, her battles with addiction and her, you know, coming out and, and marrying Abby, um, uh, gosh, the soccer player, uh, Wambach, Wambach. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah butchered that we're gonna have to yeah that was terrible um but anyway it's it's just about her journey very uplifting i would would definitely recommend that but you know if you're not a nonfiction kind of person i like to read more fiction things than nonfiction. Mm. so that was one that i just randomly picked up and cool. really enjoyed it's interesting that you asked me that i've been trying to get back into reading i was a bookworm as a kid like oh, okay. loved reading um if once I got sucked into a book, you couldn't take it out of my hands. Like we would go on vacation and I would have my nose. I, every, I, there could be chaos, like explosions happening around me. And I'm in my book. Like nothing is going to deter me from whatever. You're uh, you're on, you're on the line and then you're on space mountain at, at Disney world. And just like, just the book is just right here. I'm yeah, not right paying here. any attention. It's right here. Yeah. Sorry. All day, all day. <laughs> so I, you know, that, and that's, I'm like that as an adult too. Like I just get sucked in and I can't get enough. And it's like, yeah. oh, I gotta finish it. I gotta finish it. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Um, so all that to say, I've always tried to read the book before I see the movie or the mm-hmm. show or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping I'm, I'm excited about reading Gone Girl. And again, yeah. I know I'm behind on that. I don't have a whole lot of free time. So I don't really get caught up on TV shows or books mm-hmm. until it's like five or 10 years later. And it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, here we go. I the uh, if I have a recommendation if if I don't know if you do audiobooks okay but Gone Girl is a good a really good audiobook if you have like a library that can or something like that that you can yeah I, I, it's you don't have to but it's like that I that's how I actually I I listened to it and it yeah. totally worked as an audiobook even uh-huh. though I don't I don't love fiction for audiobooks typically I, nonfiction I think works better that's my yeah. you know, my view on that. But that one totally worked. So a consideration. I will consider it. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I've tried audiobooks um, in the past. Mm-hmm. I did Harry Potter on audiobook, like yeah. on repeat. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, here's chapter one again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, I, I really enjoyed, I can't remember who was narrating it, but like I really liked his voice. Mm-hmm. So it was more so, it was just nice to have his voice. And I wouldn't really pay attention because I would play it in the car and I'd be driving and yeah, thinking yeah. about whatever I think about. So um, I'm definitely a visual learner. So oh. hearing doesn't come super naturally, but if they're engaging, the narrator's engaging and then I'll check it out for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Do you have a sports fandom? Oh, absolutely. College football all day. Let's okay. go. Is Clemson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I, I drank the high, the Ohio state Kool-Aid when I was up there. Oh, I um, I was all about that. Yeah. Mm. And Clemson and Ohio state played in the first, one of the first playoffs when I was at Ohio state. So mm. everybody was like, who are you going to root for? And I was like, no question. I'm rooting for Clemson. Like come, yeah. my brother's on the team right now. Like I'm not going to like, come on, man. Mm. Um, but yeah, college football. I'm, I obsess. Like in the fall, my routine in the morning when after you know once I get through getting ready and stuff, when I finally sit down with my phone, mm-hmm. I'm looking at ESPN just to see what the breaking news is on college football stuff. Like mm-hmm. what are the rankings? What are they saying? What who's getting traded to who? Yeah. All this new um, likeness, image, and likeness stuff yeah. is going to totally change the game. It's going to change the recruitment field. Like. Kids are going to go places that have never gotten a shot at them before because now they're going to have the opportunity to, like, mm-hmm. you know, maneuver and make money off of Which 
I think that the students, they need to be making money. I totally agree with that. Yeah. But I, I just don't know what the best – it's a dicey situation in terms of navigating, like, policing wh- who goes what and where and how, you know, how, how are you going to manage, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who's getting all the, all the big players? I think we're going to see a huge shift in like power programs in mm-hmm. the next five years because of all of this new money facet that's now in the game. Yeah. But yeah, college football all day long. I grew up watching it. Like my mm-hmm. brother played. We're a football family, so I was kind of I didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I was thinking with I, I agree on the it's you know programs are going to have shots and and what I I'm really hoping that historically black colleges and universities like really get an influx of talent in ways that they haven't since, since before, basically black players could play on white. Right. (laughs) Right. But no, you're like exactly right. Yeah. Incredibly excited for that kind of shift and, and thinking about from a different kind of heads, like uh, approach, also the coaching shifts that are going to happen. Like they now are going to have the, the access to some coaches that, hopefully we'll, you know, continue to bring in the talent to some of those, those schools. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like that would be, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, like I said, next five or 10 years, but yeah, yeah, for sure. College football. I got into hockey when I was in Ohio. I was all about blue jackets. Yeah. Yeah. And then they sucked. So I was like, well, I got a Jersey. It's like one of my most comfortable items of clothing (laughs) that I still keep, but I, I kind of lost my, my luster for hockey when I came out. I, you know, hockey is one of those games where you can't really get the same vibe watching it on TV. I know that's with anything, but I feel yeah. like hockey in particular is hard to watch on TV because you're not there. You can't hear the, the sound of the puck whenever you hit it just right, that crack. Oh yeah. man, it's so good. And like, you can't get that on a TV, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's so much, I would totally agree. And I was, that was a, another part of going to Columbus was, if there was a Blue Jackets game during PASIC, I would always go. Yeah. It was so, because it was great. And um, it's, I think it's a lot about the vision. It's so much easier to see the puck. It is, yes. From, from the stands. Yes, no doubt. And and the energy, like in the, I feel like the energy is unmatched to other sporting events. When you're mm-hmm. in an arena and it's just like, you know, people yeah. are fired up and beating on the glass. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. All right, a couple more. Um, where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Scotland, Ireland. Mm. Hopefully in one trip. I would love to go study Bowron over there like, and, and just figure out. like, I've experimented with tippers before. I just mm. don't get it. I would love to like spend a summer doing that or, or mm. go, go over there for, you know, um, just try and figure that out. Kara Wildman? I was, a, well, I that's was, who on my head another person to consider for your thing yeah that's a yeah i did I, yeah we're on the same wavelength man. <laughs> yeah but i went to one of her clinics at PASIC, mm-hmm. and i just remember being like wow i wish i could have done that like she has a great idea and she had the you know she had the motivation and the drive to get there and i just have never gotten that far but like mm-hmm. Very envious of her because I was like, ah, that's exactly that's kind of like the vision. I would love to do that at some yeah. point. So that's definitely on my bucket list, um, nice. top of the list for sure. Let's get over there. I went I went to London in 2012 and I loved it. So I think Europe is just a fun place to be. Not right now, but um, you know, in a normal day and time. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? 
So I was kind of anticipating that you were going to ask something to this effect. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to, th- I was like, man, I don't know if I should talk about stuff. Cause you know, everybody's got the stories where, um, you know, you forget, you just blank yeah. and you don't know what notes are next or how mm-hmm. to recover. And everybody's have the whole, like, you know, your music falls off the stand or mm-hmm. some, some piece of technology doesn't work or you don't have the mallets that you need. And it's just like, yeah. You're in the moment um, trying to figure it out. I was so in, in thinking through what I was going to say, I was like, I should just tell him the most recent ones, like the most yeah. recent things I think, you know, are, are kind of drastically different from what I would say is the most uh, bizarre, embarrassing. Well, I will say this. So when I was in college, this, this is going to be a, a decent one. I think we, and this is, would fall under the bizarre category. I sure. feel like. And not bizarre, but just like, it stuck with me. Sure. We played a pep rally. It was, we were, gosh, we were at uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh. And um, yeah, we were playing Michigan in the March Madness. One of the. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we had two Michigan fans post up in the front of the like audience area. So like we had our cheerleaders here and then they were right there. Just like openly like cussing at them and calling them these like super degrading comments. And like, I will never forget watching the assistant band director who I'm really close with. He's only a few years older than me. He's kind of a bigger guy. I mean, barreling over there, like to get these guys out of the way. Um, and like, I, it's just something that you, you see them that happening and you're like, why, why would you do that? Like, why are you going out of your way to come to our thing and, and just to be an asshole, like go home. Nobody cares. Like you go do your thing. And that's, you know, it's, I think audiences are more bizarre in some performances than, you know, events that happen. But anyway, I rambled and I feel like that wasn't as impactful as I wanted it to be. So here's my second, my backup. Okay. So the most recent, um, church service I played, I had a panic, like a panic moment. So we had a, a, an inexperienced vocalist and um, we were playing along with tracks. So we had in-ears with click cues, backing tracks. And um, in rehearsal, she was kind of unfamiliar about where to start singing in one song. And, but we fixed it. We, we were good and run through. She nailed it. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention and she just didn't have her ears in or what, but like homegirl came in like two bars late. So I'm, I'm running the computer. And so I'm, I, luckily I wasn't having to play, but I'm like, okay, I hear what's happening and I'm looking at the leader and I'm like, is he gonna, is he gonna adjust her to the track or is he expecting me to adjust the track to him? And like, a, a phrase rolls around and he's not adjusting to her. And so I'm like, crap. So then, you know, your brain's firing at 17 million miles a minute. So I hit stop and I'm like, well, maybe I can just restart and bring us in at the section where I know we're going to come in. Well, that didn't work. Cause then we were on the off beats and he's adjusting to the new tempo because I had placed the, the click in on like the, uh, of the beat or something. And it was just like, so I'm panicking and <laughs> finally I got it sorted out. So we've just got the click running and then I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. Here I go. This is my big fill entrance. And I start playing and I think the adrenaline, it sounded like drums falling down the stairs. Like my foot is not communicating with my hand. It was just simple, like build, 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 build. And like my foot did not want to work. And I was just like, Oh God, like that sounds like garbage. And, and, <laughs> 
in real time, I'm nailing, I, yeah, I jump into the groove and I'm like, okay, we're in the groove. All right, cool. Time to like calm down now. And we ended up getting through the song and it was fine. But like we finish up and the bass player is a good friend of mine. And, um, <laughs> I'm like trying to, it was a seamless song. So it was like two together and I'm trying to flip through the sheets that I have and figure out what the measure number is for the next song, because I've got to plug in the measure number and make sure that the tracks are coming back on and the backing. And like, I'm just like operating on this like survival mode and I shit all over that first bill and I'm looking at the bass player and he's like, what are you like? He's got deer in headlights. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, bro, like we gotta have the click and we gotta have the track. And, you know, I, I got it sorted out and we played through the second song and like, I'll be damned if the second song is not one of the harder ones that I struggle with because the groove is just, it feels unnatural to me. And so then I didn't play that one the way that I like to. And so we get through done with that one and I'm like, <sighs> this, well, this is a waste. Like I, this is garbage. Like what am I, you know, we're just going to get through it and then I'm going to go home and stew about it and yeah. it'll be fine. We'll try again next week. Um, but like you know, I went back after the fact and listened to it and nobody knew like the fill, the bass drum was cranked so high out in the mix. You couldn't even hear that it didn't line up with the Tom. So it was fine on that first fill. Right. And luckily I was working with talented musicians who understand how to adjust. And the leader came up to me afterwards. He was like, dude, you did great. And I was like, nah, man, like I was trying to do this and trying to do this. And he was like, no, nah, you navigated it the right way. And I was just like, ah, you know, yeah. just still like grumbling about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, like I said, I went back and listened to it. And it's fine. Nobody knows. And, it, it, you know, we, we handled it gracefully. Yeah. But you, I haven't been in one of those instances in a minute. And so it was like, oh, God, what am I doing? Like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. I was The next thing that I was planning, or not planning, but, like, anticipating happening was, like, a stick breaking or, like, flying out of my hands. And, yeah. like, I didn't have an extra stick, like, on the bass drum like I normally do. And I was like, of course, this is going to be the day that I drop mm -hmm. a stick. So, like, as soon as I got a break, I'm pulling up an extra stick and throwing it out there because I'm like, I'm not going to be caught, like, not being ready for this last song or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. That's the most recent one. Nice. You know, we always have them. And, and oh, it, mm -hmm. is. it is what it is. It's music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was good. I, I, was, I was considering it as, like, the Mike Portnoy – Entrance is the like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> right. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Just like all over the place. Yeah. Like, oh, yikes. Yeah. Maybe this. Maybe this church song needs a polyrhythmic ridiculousness to, to get it going. Yeah. yeah. We're just gonna. We'll throw in some double bass pedals. That's and, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll be great. We're gonna blast their faces off. Can't That's wait. Right. Like, yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. And Lainey, last question. One piece of art, music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything, et cetera, has impacted you the most recently? That's a good question. I'm not quiet very often. So you did a good job there. I'm going to go back to that Glennon Doyle book. Okay. I have to say, yeah. Um, I read that actually a year ago mm -hmm. this weekend. I read it Easter weekend last year and like I said, the whole mindset of you can do hard things. I think at that point in my life, I was going through some personal stuff and that was really like validating to me and really like inspiring. Um, I think, and I, I've noticed that in this past year of my teaching, I have kind of gravitated more towards empowerment and, and, 
encouraging the holistic student, not just saying, okay, you know, you're teaching the snare drummer, you're teaching the drum set player, you know, you're also building a human and you're Mm -hmm. trying to expose them to other experiences and helping them navigate. You know, I, I was joking with somebody the other day, half the time, not half the time, but sometimes I find myself playing therapist and that's okay. Like that's part of our gig is mentoring some of these young people as they navigate through issues. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I found myself, you know, echoing that you can do hard things and you can do this audition. You can do this, you know, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a pivotal um, reset, I guess you could say, from a perspective standpoint. Um, I think another thing that's really helped, I got really into uh, mindfulness at one point. So mm-hmm. we had at Legacy, we had a mindfulness director and mm-hmm. he was brought from California to help put a mindfulness program into the school. Um, and that was something else that kind of helped me. That was impactful to my like routine, I guess you yeah. could say it's just sitting silently because I'm not quiet and like, I'm not still at on a regular basis. And so doing that and really allowing myself to feel whatever emotions or thoughts and not trying to shut off my brain or shut off the emotions, but just yeah. like observing them as they kind of float around. Um, and that's not necessarily a, uh, you know, a piece of art that inspired that, but it was an experience, you know, talking through with brother V and, and him saying, you know, you should try this. Or I just happened to pop onto one of his zoom things. Um, he used to do mindfulness sessions via zoom mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I'll check this out. Now I have anything to do on Saturday. Like, we'll, we'll do this. And it was really cool. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I really resonated with it. So I would say that those two things have been the most impactful recently, you know, in my adult life, but Hopefully that was, you know, helpful. So great to talk to Lainey for this interview. I appreciated her good humor and cheer throughout. I look forward to great success for her for the Drum Studio Academy and her budding Drum Girl Drum Project. So stay tuned for that. This week's rave is the 2021 film Petite Maman, starring Josephine Sanz and Gabriel Sanz, and directed by Celine Shiyama. Petite Maman, translating to Little Mom, is a short, lovely family film that I recently got to see in our local art house theater. The story involves Nellie, played by Josephine Sanz, a young girl of about eight years old, dealing with the death of her elderly grandmother, and having her family deal with the final details of moving the grandmother's, and by this nature, her mother's, items out of that apartment. While there, and playing in the nearby woods, Nellie encounters Marion, played by Gabrielle Sanz, her actual twin sister, also playing there, and the two strike up a friendship while Nellie's parents continue the move-out process. At this point, I can't go further into the plot, but what follows is a pretty amazing story of grief, memory, sadness, and happiness, and includes some elements of magical realism and flights of fancy that are so subdued as to be nearly unnoticed and are not remarked upon by the main characters. The soundtrack and sets of the film are pretty scaled down, And while it was moving at a very relaxed and nearly ambient pace, 
the movie clocked in at a whopping 70 minutes. I was shocked when it was done and the time that appeared on my phone since it covered so much in such a short time. The acting across the board is excellent, particularly the work of Nelly's parents, played by Nina Maurice and Stefan Varupen, listed simply as the mom and the dad. But kudos to the amazing performances by Josephine and Gabrielle Sanz for their wonderful portrayals as the two young girls. The film was directed and written by Celine Shiama, an artist whose most recent work was the excellent Portrait of a Lady on Fire, about a love relationship between two women in the 18th century of France. According to many accounts, many felt like this was her best work. And I would agree, and it appears more amazing films are coming our way soon. So if it's playing near you, take the really short time it would take to see Petite Maman and really prepare to be moved by this film. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.